Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. spent a fair amount of time looking into eschatology in, in my lifetime, uh, quite a bit more over the last few years as I have seen these things coming, and eschatology is just the study of the things of the end. Uh, some people call Jesus the eschatos because he is the beginning and the end. Uh, <clears throat> when we have met him, we have met the end. And we are prepared for the end when, when we have met him. So, uh, where uh, what I'm going to present to you fits in, in the general scheme of end-time beliefs is uh, closest to what, what's called historic premillennialism. Uh, to the best of our knowledge and understanding, uh, what was taught by the early church fathers, Josephus, Arrhenius, others, uh, up until... Um, about the time of Augustine, this was the general uh, belief of how the things of the end would would progress. Uh, then with Augustine, a, a lot of things began to change in, in theology. And then with the rise of the Catholic Church, uh, his theology, Augustine's, was, was really given preeminence and it, it became the prevailing uh, eschatology. Uh, there, there is another school of premillennialism uh, that originated in the 1800s called dispensational premillennialism. Um, there, there are some overlaps in understanding between historic and dispensational, but but some differences also. And I'm, I'm not going to go into what all the different uh, theologies are or belief systems are related to the end. I'm, I'm just going to present to you uh, what, what I see uh, and try not to be too critical of the others because we, we can't really be dogmatic in our understanding of things related to the end because there, there is room in scriptural interpretation for different understandings of how things are going to play out. Uh, so what I want to do is uh, give you this, this general uh, timeline of events uh, outline of events. Then I, I want to look at uh, at least a couple scripture passages that uh, talk about each of those events. Uh, 
and, and hopefully this will bring some clarity to each of our understandings of the things that, that we're headed into. Uh, now, now uh, one sort of foundational understanding is that we, we are living in the last days. Uh, but basically, the last days began at Pentecost <laughs> with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's the last days because it's the last two days. It's the last 2,000 years uh, of, of the earth as we know it. And they were in the very beginning of the last days at Pentecost. We now, some 2,000 years later, must be approaching the end of those last days. If, if indeed that understanding of a day being like a thousand years to the Lord and history basically being a week of days, a week of thousand year days. And I, I believe that that is uh, a true understanding. So let me first give you, yeah, I see it's up there already. This, this is the, the basic timeline of events that, that lie before us. First, uh, there will be a time of persecution, difficulty, apostasy, leading to the great tribulation and the great harvest. Then, there will be a gathering, removal, rapture of the church from the planet to Jesus. Then there will be a judgment of evil on the earth. Then Jesus will return. We will see the judgment seat of Christ for believers. The millennium will be ushered in the the seventh day, the day of rest of history. Uh, <clears throat> this will begin, and that will be the first resurrection. And that's really what I want to talk a lot more about next time, but I feel like I need to lay uh, <clears throat> some groundwork here uh, with our understanding of this. Now, during the millennial kingdom... The kingdom of heaven is fully established, consummated on the earth with Jesus physically reigning and ruling from Jerusalem. Then, at the end of the millennium, Satan will be released for a short time, leading a rebellion led by Gog and Magog, and he will be defeated by Christ Jesus on the earth then that leads to the final judgment where Satan and all of his forces and all of the evil are, are thrown into the lake of fire where they will be punished for eternity. And then there will be a white throne judgment before the Father, a second resurrection, and 
then, then leading to number eight, the new heaven and the new earth and the kingdom of the Father, where we will then be with the Father for eternity on the new heaven and, and the new earth. So that's what we look forward to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to get through this all today. <laughs> I realize that is probably a little bit ambitious, but um, here we go. <laughs> so <laughs> I told you what I'm going to tell you. Now I'm going to tell you. Uh, the first thing, and, and I, I believe that, that we are, are seeing the beginning of this happen now. That, that we, this is where we are now. We're, we're in item number one, the time of persecution, difficulty, and apostasy leading to the great tribulation and the great harvest. This, this is where we are, and I'm going to start with Matthew 24, the words of Jesus in verses 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And I just have to say one thing about that. There, there are two interpretations of that verse, and they're, they're both right, I think. Many will come saying, I am the Christ, follow me. And we've been seeing that in our lifetime. Many others who are more sly will say, Jesus is the Christ, follow me and will lead many astray because although they have that one thing right, they have many other things wrong. So we have to be careful that we're not led astray by either one. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. And women who've had children understand birth pains. They, they start out not very much and not very close together. And as the time of the birth comes closer and closer what happens they get more intense and they get closer together I, I think that's something that Jesus is saying about the wars the famines the, the natural uh, disasters that are happening and if, if we look at those kinds of things there is an acceleration that is happening Then in verse 9, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So there is going to be persecution of the church. We, we need to have that in our understanding. Jesus is warning his people that this is coming. There is going to be a falling away, an apostasy, uh, a, a turning away is really literally what, what that word means. And an increase in lawlessness. Are, are we seeing these things? We, I mean, th this is like reading the newspaper right here. Uh, <clears throat> and the gospel of the kingdom is almost proclaimed throughout the whole world we're, we're within probably three years of that actually happening right now, according to missiologists. Uh, now, a couple more verses or passages related to this. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion or the falling away or the apostasy, as the King James says it, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So there, there will be a gathering together of the people of God to the Lord. It has not happened it had not happened yet when Paul wrote that letter. It has not happened yet. Uh, we are still waiting for that. <clears throat> We're waiting for the great falling away. We're waiting for the man of lawlessness to be revealed. Um, then Matthew 13. Jesus answered, The one who sows, and this is him explaining uh, the parable of the sower. The one who sows the seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So there, there is... The end of the age is the harvest time when things have, all the seeds that have been sown bear fruit 
and come to maturity. So there's, there's the increase in lawlessness. There's also an increase in the glory of the church. And that is the part to be excited about because as, as we see the increase in lawlessness, we can anticipate the days when the Lord pours out his glory on the church for the sake of the great harvest at the end of the age. So there's, there's much to look forward to. Uh, moving on to item number two, the gathering, removal, rapture of the church. And the two uh, most important passages related to that are 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54. We'll look at that one first. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or died, literally. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, <clears throat> about the gathering, the removal, the, the rapture of the church, there, there are various understandings of, of the timing of the rapture uh, in, in the different schools of thought. Uh, personally, uh, I, I believe the rapture is later rather than earlier. And, and the primary reason that, that I believe that is, 
In the book of Revelation, uh, there are seven seals, then seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. And, and we, we see that uh, play out in, in the book of Revelation. If, as it says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if the last trumpet that's identified in 1 Corinthians 15 is indeed the last of those seven trumpets, then we need to be prepared to basically live through the tribulation. Uh, and personally, I would much rather think that and be wrong <laughs> and get raptured out of here either at the beginning of the great tribulation or in the middle than to think that the rapture is going to happen at the beginning of the great tribulation and be wrong and have to live through the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, as I said, we, we can't be too dogmatic with this. It, it's possible that the last trumpet that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 is, is not the seventh trumpet. Uh, of the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. But it certainly could be. Uh, so those, those are the general understandings of when the gathering of the church, the, the rapture of the church may, may take place. Uh, but I, I do believe that the people of God will, will not be here for the pouring out of the seven bowls of judgment that follow the seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. Uh, and, and again, we, we are not given how long some of these things are, are going to take. Uh, the, the pouring out of those seven bowls could take years. And, and that could be the great tribulation. That, that would be good. That, that would be great. Uh, but but I, we don't know. But we do know that after the church is removed, gathered to Jesus, there is a judgment that will come upon the earth, upon the evil who are remaining on the earth. And uh, that's item number three, and I'll, I'll read you a couple passages about this, which will make us very glad that we're not going to be there <laughs> for the judgments that, that will be poured out. So Revelation 11, 15 through 18 then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God 
fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding your saints, the prophets, your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And I'm, I'm hoping that you're writing down these references so that you can, you can go further on in, in some of these passages. I'm, I'm trying to get all of this in one day, which, like I said, is pretty ambitious. Then we'll skip to Revelation 16 and look at the first six verses. Then, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven... It's going to be bad. <laughs> We don't want to wish this on anybody. We want to take as many with us as we possibly can. Because it's going to be horrible. Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl. Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. gets worse from there. <laughs> so there's a pouring out of the wrath of God on the evil of the earth at that point. And then 
Jesus returns, we see the judgment seat of Christ for believers, the beginning of the millennium, and the first resurrection. And this is what I want to get into more detail on next time, but I'll, I'll give you uh, the basic description out of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So the thing about those who have a part in, in the first resurrection is they, they are given their incorruptible bodies at the beginning of the thousand-year millennium and rule and reign with Christ and with Christ who is literally and, and physically ruling and reigning from Jerusalem bring the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to the earth during that thousand years. Uh, it, it will be an, an amazing time. Um, and next week, like I said, I, I hope to talk about who is, is blessed to be in the first resurrection. So, Jesus rules and reigns with some of the saints during the millennium the kingdom is brought to fullness on the earth and and then this, this is the part that I don't really understand but I didn't get to write how this all works or have any input into it at the end of the thousand years Satan is given another chance to deceive the nations 
He's released for a short time. Uh, there's, there's a battle on the earth. Gog and Magog uh, come together against Christ and, and against his people. And it appears to be a, an exceedingly short battle <laughs> because boom and, and it's over. And Satan and all those who followed him are then vanquished to the lake of fire for eternity, for eternal punishment. And, and again, it's, it's hard to understand how some human beings on the earth during the millennium, seeing the kingdom in its fullness, will be deceived by Satan. But apparently it will happen. Uh, and this were shown in, in the next part of Revelation 20, starting in verse 7. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So there's not just a few. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hmm. Then, <clears throat> the great white throne judgment, the second resurrection, and the new heaven and the new earth. And again, we pick up the same passage in, in Revelation 20, starting with the next verse. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So to me, uh, this
Here we go. I, I think I missed a, at least a passage that I wanted to read. So I, I want to go back for a moment. <laughs> and uh, under item number five, the kingdom of heaven being fully established on the earth with Jesus reigning on the earth, I, I missed 1 Corinthians 15, 23 to 26. This is important in our understanding. But each one, but each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, there, there is some validity to, to an understanding that each person of the Trinity is, is sort of preeminent during a, a stage of the kingdom of heaven. We're, we're in the age of the church where the Holy Spirit is here. He is in us. He is empowering us. On, on the earth, he is preeminent. Then during the millennium, we see Jesus coming and ruling and reigning on the earth and, and fully establishing the kingdom so that at the end he can present it to the Father who will then rule over the kingdom of God for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. So I... Sorry, I missed that and got a little bit out of order there. Um, <laughs> thank you. But that it's it's an important passage to our understanding of of things. And I I, I do have to say one one more thing about <clears throat> some terminology that I've been using uh, in the last couple messages. Uh, the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom, there, there really is only one gospel, and it is the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, there, it isn't and wasn't God's intent that, that there be uh, people who would believe in Jesus and not go forward with him and abide in him and obey him. But it happens. And, and that's why there, there is a distinction between in, in terms of reward and in terms of positioning in the millennium between those who believe in Jesus, call on the name of the Lord, are saved, receive eternal life, but then they do not overcome. And, and they, 
they do not go on with the Lord. The, they don't let the Lord continue to birth new things in their lives. They still have eternal life, and they will be in that eternal kingdom with God. But, like I said, next week we're, we're going to talk about how that plays out in the millennial kingdom. So I, I just want to make that clear. I'm not trying to teach you that there are two Gospels. It's, it's a way of understanding. Uh, okay. So we're almost done here. <laughs> the final white throne judgment happens after Satan and his forces are defeated in, in that last battle. Everyone comes before the Father to the great white throne judgment. And eternal destiny is, is determined. And then we see the new heaven and the new earth and the kingdom of the Father, essentially, coming forth at, at the very end. And then we go on from Revelation 20 to Revelation 21, and we look at verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, or the one who conquers, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Actually, there's a little more after that in uh, Revelation 21. But that, uh, that is how I see uh, the chronology, basically, of events uh, that the world and everyone in it is moving into uh, 
You may not agree with me, and that's okay. Uh, in a year, I may not agree with me. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, em embracing the millennium was, uh, that, that was a big thing for me. And, and I, when I received that revelation, I, I had to repent before the Lord. Uh, because I, I, I want to know the truth. I, I don't want to just agree with some guy that I like. And <laughs> that, that has to be our, our position because the Holy Spirit is our teacher, our guide into all truth. And uh, for your information, the, the Dale Sides book uh, that I, I really have appreciated... Uh, he and I are way uh, far apart on the the things of the end and, and eschatology, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> like I said, there, we can't be too dogmatic with with a lot of these things because there there is room for other interpretations. But what what I give you is. Uh, what I read from Scripture, what I what I get from Scripture at, at this point in time. Now the I, I could tell you a little bit more about some of the other schools of thought if you are interested. Uh, there's uh, th there's uh, kind of a minority view in eschatology. Uh, which is, is not premillennialism, not believing that Jesus comes before the millennium, but postmillennialism. And, and that, that's kind of a, a triumphalistic view that the church is, is, is going to bring forth the kingdom in, in such fullness on, on the earth before Jesus comes, that that it's it's almost going to be like what Jesus does in the millennium, under the view that I just presented to you. Uh, like I said, it's a minority view, and I really don't see that in Scripture, given what Jesus said about the increase in lawlessness and the great falling away that is going to happen before the time of the end. It's, it's almost like the opposite view. And, and there, there are those theologians who, who believe that we can change God's mind. And I'm just, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not advocating that, and I'm not encouraging you to do any more reading on that, but, but the, that's really, I think, the root of, of that eschatology, is a, a belief that, that we can go further, that, that and we, <laughs> well, yeah, we, <laughs> we would rather be with Jesus, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and and what yeah what what Ed is talking about it are the promises to Israel in in the Old Testament primarily and and that was the mindset of uh, <clears throat> the people in Israel at the time that Jesus came they they were looking for the one who would sit on David's throne and and restore Israel to prominence in the earth and uh, kick off the the yoke of Rome and and bring everything back to uh, the great things that that were promised and uh, no that wasn't God's plan and that that was essentially the uh, <clears throat> the source of the question of Jesus' disciples at the very beginning of Matthew 24. You know, tell us when you're going to restore the kingdom. <laughs> and the understanding uh, of when that happens in the eschatology that I shared with you today is that that happens in the millennium. That that, that is when Jesus takes David's throne, rules from Jerusalem, uh, restores not the kingdom of Israel as such, but the kingdom of God to to the whole earth. And uh, there there are some issues that that I've conveniently avoided in this discussion today <laughs> and some of you probably have questions about some of those issues and you, you can talk to me privately about that but for for the sake of, of trying to give you a 10,000 foot level picture uh, I, I've left some things out and yes that was on purpose uh, there, there may come a time when the Lord really wants to develop some of this more fully but like I said really the reason that I'm presented all this to you today is so that I can dig into a couple little parts of this in a lot more detail next week and, and bring some deeper understanding because I, I really feel like the reason that the Lord has, has brought me this revelation at this point in time is that he wants to encourage us and, and he wants to give us a, a theological understanding that will move us to even more wholeheartedness in our pursuit of him so that we will miss nothing. Because, uh, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll get into that next week. So I, I think uh, that's, that's probably uh, what I need to share today. I, I hope uh, that that uh, brought some light uh, to, to some of you clarified some understanding uh, didn't create more questions than it answered uh, so let me pray uh, 
Jesus, we, we confess that you are the king. You are the king, we are your people. And you have called us to be a kingdom of priests to the nations in such a time as this. Lord, you, you created each of us to be here at, at this key time in history. And, and you had purpose for bringing us forth when, when you did. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you for your wisdom in that. We thank you for how you've wired us as individuals. Uh, we thank you for the gifts that you've given to your church. And Lord, I, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would move on our hearts to wholeheartedly pursue you. Uh, give us more passion for you. Uh, Lord, give us a passion to see the lost come to you. Lord, we, we don't want to see anyone go through the judgment that will come forth for the evil people on the earth. Lord, we would so much rather see them turn to you. So I, I pray you'd give us a, a newfound boldness to speak your truth to people, to see people come to belief in you, uh, to see people call on your name. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Open our spiritual eyes and ears. Let us be the people that you're calling us to be in these days. For the glory of Jesus, 